So this is uh, part two of Board Game Awards. Yes, it is. And the last one was so good. I was so excited about that one. That, that turned out really good. And now we have another podcast. It's probably going to be way too long again, but let me read you uh, the Board Game Awards that we've given out so far. So for Best Mechanic, we have Tableau Building. With runner a runner-up of Legacy. Legacy. Yeah, okay. You're going to do it. All right. Oh. For best expansion, we've got Terraforming Mars Prologue with a runner-up Scythe Fenris. For the Ian O'Toole Award for Best Art presented by Ian O'Toole, who couldn't make it to the show, so uh, we presented it instead. Uh, that was Root uh, with runner-up Everdell. For best components, we have Lovecraft Lever, Lovecraft Letter with follow-up by Everdell premium edition for best style we've got millennium blades with runners up betrayal legacy and kingdom death for best party game we've got secret hitler best gateway castles of mad king ludwig with a runner-up of a i I think azul or dominion Dominion. or something i don't know dominion we're not great at this best cornerstone master builder in mad in master builder in castles of mad king ludwig with a runner-up for the alchemists app so the amount of talking i just did is probably more than uh more more game talk than we do in a whole episode of wtdg usually i know it's impressive uh, we're 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 really doing it we have more to do this week with a uh, best rule, best moment, best co-op game, best filler game, best designer, most satisfying game you wish you played more, most played game, most anticipated, and game of the year. Yeah. This list is too long. This list, so this list is too start. long. Let's start. Um, but before we before we get into the meat and potatoes, um, just to remind everyone, if you didn't listen to the first one. Uh, this is a all-time list. This is not uh, relegated to uh, games that came out in 2018. Obviously, I guess that would have been obvious if you realized some of the winners. Um, this is uh, a hour only. This is a WTDG list. This is not uh, a uh, attempt to gauge the uh, board game community overall and how they feel about things. So this is only takes into account what we've played. Uh, with some things I'm sure missing, obviously, that we might find out next year or like next year. Um, but that was, I think, it for the intro stuff. Uh, so the next uh, award we have is Best Rule. And I was thinking about this. So uh, why would this be different than our last category, Best Cornerstone, Unique Defining Mechanic? And how I got to this is... Uh, and why I think this is an important reward award is that best rule is not a cornerstone. So a cornerstone uh, master builder is a series of rules, like someone going around the table clockwise, someone becomes master builder, master builder uh, cho- uh, gets these cards, the cards decide uh, what the next tiles are drawn, and then they draw those tiles, and then they decide the tiles, what their worth is, um, and all these other things. So the way that best rule works is that it's an individual rule. It's basically like a if if master builder were broken down into you know those being like you know six seven rules that that, that kind of overall decide master builder. Then best rule is something that would be like master builder decides the value of a tile, not you know the master builder mechanic. Sure. This, okay. 
So what we have it'll right make, now. It'll make more sense once we go down some of these. Okay, here. so the one thing that I think ha could possibly come off the list because it might not be allowed anymore is why and why is Yellow and Yangtze Wars because as much of as I think that the that, that it is a super crazy cool mechanic it is like a mine it is like a smaller mechanic of the overall Yellow and Yangtze but it might be too many things it might be more of a cornerstone than some of these other things which are basically just single rules so the let's run down the list we have the clank dragon bag from twilight imperium we have promissory notes from millennium blades we have no take backs from betrayal legacy we have ghosts from root we have turmoil and from secret hitler we have hitler doesn't know who the fascists are yeah so a couple of things right away that i that i that jumps out to me is that uh hitler doesn't know who the fascists are is an amazing rule and that is a rule that i didn't really get to play with until recently and it is a kind of singular rule that only comes into play uh with a seven or more player game and it changes a lot of the landscape and it makes it even a higher level of deduction game of social deduction so i really like that rule i'm just gonna say right off the bat Sure. So I think that as we go down this, since these are individual rules, we should really explain what each of them are and make our case. Yeah. So Hitler doesn't know who the fascists are. So in Secret Hitler, the fascists and Hitler are cooperating to be to have uh, Hitler be elected the chancellor. However, in a seven player game, uh, there are two fascists, there are Hitler, and then there are four liberals. So the deck is already stacked against the fascists. They're already outnumbered. However, to make the situation a little more complicated, the fascists know who Hitler is, but Hitler does not know who is on his side. So Hitler has to suss out who are the fascists. Yeah, it creates a really, it's a really fascinating dynamic, uh, which is already in my favorite social deduction game and it creates a situation where the fascists have to, so the, the the where where this suddenly uh creates a schism in the game from six players uh and below i guess um and seven players and above is that uh the fascists when 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 everything is dealt out and everyone who knows who each other is uh, or everyone knows who they are um, everyone closes their eyes, fascists open their eyes and acknowledge each other, and then Hitler puts their thumb up. So then going from there, the really interesting thing is that the fascists have to, without tipping off anyone else, tip off Hitler who they are so that they can start to work together. Because the, the, suddenly like the beginning of the game becomes more complex because Hitler is going into this as blind as the liberals are. So Hitler has no idea. And everyone, including the fascists, is trying to kind of look like a liberal because you don't want anyone on like off your side. So somehow the fascists have to look have to look fascist enough to Hitler to gain their tr to gain the Hitler's trust and not betray not look like they're betraying the rest of the table and that is yeah and there are some there's some pretty interesting ways of doing this depending on how the cards fall so like uh 
let's say the fascist uh, is the president and gets the ability to investigate another player. He could choose to investigate Hitler and then say, oh, this player is a liberal. And then Hitler that should tip knows off Hitler, right? Who like, one of the fascists are, yeah. Like, why would why would you do that otherwise? But it, it creates so many uh, smaller gameplay tweaks for ev- that make every round very different in trying to figure out who people are and how much you can trust other people. I really love it. It is so it is Clank, a big it is a big thing. So Clank Dragon Bag. I don't exactly know what this is. So could you break it down for um, me? I, I just think that the I had originally put this on because uh I think Clank Dragon the the way that the dragon bag works, um maybe just the main thing of your uh when you're when a dragon is when, taking damage yeah, in clank you're ta- yeah like when the the the, the 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 singular rule is you're pulling these cubes from this bag blindly and as you're going through clank if, if anyone doesn't know it's a dungeon um and uh doing stuff a lot of the some of the more powerful abilities uh sometimes cause clank which is damage, which starts to wake the the dragon up, kind of. And how you you take damage is that you're you're putting uh, your cubes, your colored cubes, onto the area. Then when the dragon is summoned, you're putting all the cubes in the bag, and then you're pulling randomly the bags, uh, uh, the, the cubes from the bag to deal damage. And I just like the way that how much how that is such a large. It's a small rule, but it's a huge part of the game. And like the risk reward. Uh, off of how much noise can you cause uh, to put yourself more of your your noise cubes into that bag and possibly take damage? I that was one of the first yeah, rules so, with board gaming that I loved. So the reason why it's cool is because also it adds like this great level of like tense situations where you could have like one hit point left and you know the dragon is going to attack but you but it's not just like oh the dragon attacks and deals a damage because that's like kind of deterministic it's anticlimactic right it's so cool that someone is like shaking the bag and might pull something out but there's also a chance that that other player that has three hit points left but has been making like a ton more noise also might just get three of their cubes pulled and then is totally knocked out so i i actually just like the fact that uh, damage is like sort of obfuscated from the players. Like the players don't actually know like what the likelihood of something bad happening to them is, you know, uh, you, you sort of have an idea that certain players are in more uh, trouble than other players, but because of the bag, because even just because of the fact that it's like a black bag, because of the fact that it's not like um, something translucent that you could see into or anything, uh, makes it more exciting because you actually just don't know how much danger anybody is in, and that's really cool. Yeah, this is kind of like a great example of why this this uh, category exists because w- if you can do if you can cause this much tension with a singular rule, then I think it it is a really outstanding thing. Like to have a, that much bang for your buck on one rule is pretty pretty cool. Um, yeah. So-, so next up we have Twilight Imperium promissory notes, which is. A little more than just a rule, so maybe you could break this down for me. Yeah, I, I, I thought of them as like because they're they're in the rule book. They're just a rule. It is a simple rule. It is the the, the rule is simple. Uh, everyone gets promissory notes, and the promissory notes can be can be given at any time. That's basically it. That's basically the rule. 
what makes this so complex and so interesting to me and why it probably is my favorite entire thing about Twilight Imperium is that the the promissory notes are all these things of like I will not attack you uh with and or I can't even attack you or I will nominate you to uh win the game or and get an extra point and the idea of is it is it it creates much more complexity to the negotiations uh, because instead of just negotiating stuff very uh, simply, like, don't attack me, okay, I, I won't, and then they do it next turn, uh, you have these, like, notes to give out that are like, I please don't do this thing I don't want you to do. Uh, if you allow me to do something I want to do, then I'll give you this powerful advantage over me, and that adds so much, that adds a lot more layers to the game. Even in the amount that we ended up playing, we didn't really get a chance to play a ton of Twilight Imperium this year. Uh, I thought Promissory Notes were something that just jumped off the page of like, I want to be in a long game of Twilight Imperium and have these cards uh, that like create interesting negotiations. Uh, I just love that because there's there's a lot to negotiate about uh, over Twilight Imperium, which is more which is definitely more important than the moving people around uh overall like it's an interesting thing of like negotiating trade deals or negotiating stuff like ceasefires or all these other things and promissory notes are just like a a fantastic addition it's kind of like one line it's a tiny thing and it's so powerful because there's not really any rules over how to to make it work so you can really do like like the player's imagination is is key here because you can do stuff like fight this player and I will give you a, a ceasefire, and that is powerful because I'm the most powerful person here. So stuff like that, or like fight this player, and I'm going to give you a card that just gives you a victory point as long as you have it, and stuff like that. Like that yeah. is a, a really interesting, important thing. So let me bring up the next rule, and this rule is one of the reasons why I thought this category was worth making. Uh, and this is Millennium Blades, no takebacks. So this is also, I think, the most elegant rule that we have on the list um, because it's so simple, right? No takebacks. But but it really matters so much. And it's something that, you know, I, I do spend some time thinking about just like the concept of takebacks and when a player should be granted a takeback. And it, it, it creates like some tension at the table, right? Like even the idea that you would allow one player a takeback for something and then having to explain to another player why whatever they did should not get a take back, right? Yeah. I think for the most part, we don't have huge issues with that. Um, I think that most people understand, especially with like, if it's newer players and they make a mistake and there hasn't been anything afterwards that changed the game because of that mistake that they made. And they're like, oh, wait a minute, hold on. I just just want to redo that because I realized I did it really poorly. Um, It's not a big deal. But you certainly do get into sticky situations of like... um, oh, I could have done this if I realized I was supposed to take this thing last round. Can we go back in time and stuff like that? I think that the no takebacks thing, and the reason why I think you have it on here is that Millennium Blades almost wants to work like a roguelike. It wants to work as a campaign in a short amount of time. And those mistakes uh, should play into it, especially when you have it a game that has timing as a base as a basis yeah millennium blades is a game it's 
it is a game about being able to juggle like multiple different things in your brain at once. And like one of the skills of the game is being able to make like clever decisions on the spot, like with a time limit bearing down on you. So that's one of the reasons why the no take backs rule is like really important because if you were able to go back on things that you've done, that that pretty much is like going back in time. And that's well, yeah, well, like, especially when because usually board games are like time in the board game is kind of this weird thing where time doesn't move until something is happening. So if people are just sitting around t- like thinking about their turn, time isn't moving. But in Millennium Blades, it has that time component of especially during the um, the the uh, buying and like drafting and buying and selling and drafting phase, like the marketplace or whatever, uh, that it's important to not have take backs, especially then. Yeah, so I I love this rule because it's like so elegant. It's so easy to explain. And like if it's like clearly written in the rule book, like it's just like so nice that it's inarguable. So easy to understand. Like, look, I can't give this to you because there are no take backs. That's it. Yeah. And it also like makes you feel good and satisfied. Like sometimes you make a mistake and you say like, oh, I fucked up. And I can't go back on it because that's the way of the rule. But so like, I don't have to have like this awkward conversation with anybody like, Ooh, you know, actually I should have done this. Like it just like removes all of that because you also know that everybody else at the table is under like the same level of like pressure with the decisions they have to make. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to put this on here, but I, I, this almost deserves to be on here. Um, but I'll just float it. Uh, I, I like in a similar vein that in Kingdom Death, there there is a prologue fight, and in the prologue fight, it says you will make mistakes, and and it's it even says like you throughout this campaign you will continue to make mistakes, and if you as long as you're not making that mistake in good faith, it the, it continues to be a viable thing that you're doing. Uh, I just think that's an interesting. It almost like removes some stress from it, where the game itself is saying. Like, we taught you the basics in the prologue. There's more complex stuff uh, later, um, but you will make mistakes, and we recognize that. And the game is tuned in such a way that it's, like, ridiculously difficult. So, especially while you're learning, making mistakes that maybe help you out a little bit aren't, like, even illegal. I think that's just, like, an interesting little thing. But I'm not going to put it on here because I think it is less interesting and elegant than millennium blades no take backs as like a simple rule that changes the feeling of the game yeah so next up we have becoming a ghost in betrayal legacy so i I think i've talked a little bit about betrayal legacy before and specifically about why it is the best legacy game the reason why betrayal legacy is the best legacy game is that you're constantly doing things that feed into the legacy mechanics betrayal legacy is the legacy game where you are most likely to sticker something rip something up um permanently change the board or the campaign for good in in the shortest amount of time so you have the most uh what i refer to as legacies per minute in betrayal legacy and becoming a ghost is really a part of that so Whenever a character dies in the Betrayal Legacy campaign, they have to put a ghost sticker onto the area where they died. And the ghost stickers and essentially how haunted a specific area is and becomes um, 
sort of becomes a important cornerstone to the house and to the mansion throughout the game because the hauntedness of specific areas uh, channels and changes the way that specific items uh, react to to sort of the board. And that is really cool. So it, it is awesome that because you are like putting the sticker down, you are creating like this is the place uh, where my second generation family member uh, passed away. It, it gives you sort of this way of like, yes, I'm out of this game, but I have created, uh, you know, there are ripples throughout the campaign because of the fact uh, that this is where I died. Yeah, but it's and not just awesome. that. It kind of like it is it, a huge thematic thing as well, right? Because uh, the thing I love so much about Betrayal Legacy is that you're starting out with this kind of basic house that doesn't really have a lot going on. And even the beginning, um, like it's not really haunted. And even when players think it's haunted, it basically is not. Uh, and there's not really that much like supernatural afoot. But as the game is being played, uh, you are like as you're dying or or something goes wrong and yeah, you become a ghost, you die and become a ghost, uh, you are haunting those areas. You are making those areas like more haunted and it's making the mansion haunted. And the fact that the game like remembers that and plays into that is like fantastic. Like that's why the mansion is haunted. It's like every time you play bad stuff ha continually happens in it that makes the mansion more haunted, that makes more bad stuff happen, that makes the mansion more haunted. And that's why like, like it, it, it makes a board game... It, it, it takes a board game mechanic and creates that like traditional concept of how an area being haunted and so bad things or cursed and so bad things happen in it that causes like death or something that causes there to be more like curse or hauntedness, more haunting. I love that. That's good stuff. Uh, I have one final rule for you, and it is turmoil in Root. So I think that one of the coolest factions and most well-realized factions in Root is the Eerie, the Eerie Dynasty. So the way that the Eerie works is that you essentially have this tableau of actions uh, where you can like uh, recruit, uh, which is gather more soldiers, you can move, you can attack, and you can settle. And every turn, you have to add more to your tableau. So essentially, you have like these cards that are stacking up. So if you have three cards stacking up under move, then you have to move three times. If you have two cards under settle, you have to settle twice. And every turn, you are required to put another card into that tableau. So eventually there will become a time where you cannot do these actions anymore. And when that happens, essentially when a player has foiled your plans to settle, or essentially like you don't have anywhere that you could possibly settle, uh, your dynasty collapses and your entire engine uh, falls to shreds. Uh, and then you essentially have to select a new king, a new leader uh, to begin a new dynasty. Yeah. So the reason why this is so cool, why I like it so much, is the level of interactivity that it provides for clever players. Understanding, like, Eerie are, like, sort of always present. They're, like, people are always going to, like, pick Eerie because they're, like, one of the easier factions to understand. And also they feel very powerful. And the thing that also is great about them is they, they really do have this great counterplay of clever players will know where they can make the Eries fall into turmoil. 
So I, I love the fact that the Eerie get the chance to really build up this massive engine and take like, you know, like six or seven actions in one turn. They, they feel like brutally powerful. And then the fact that a player can sort of like throw a, a wrench into their gears is it's just great. It's my favorite mechanic and route. All right. So how do we limit this down? I feel like uh, if I'm looking at the top three right here, the ones that like we would argue over, uh, it's probably Millennium Blades, No Take Backs, uh, Twilight Imperium, Promise, Promissory Notes, and Secret Hitler Doesn't Know Who the Fascists Are. Am I wrong? I think go. I think um, the other ones are great, but I don't know if they're gonna be as much of in the argument. You know, the thing I like about us is that we're not ones to argue so much. There's only two of us, which I think really adds to to the sort of uh, ability to agree, and also the fact that uh, we've all played these games. Like you and I have both played all of these games. Uh, I think becoming a ghost in Betrayal Legacy uh, is awesome, but I think that more awesome is what becoming a ghost in betrayal legacy represents it just represents the the flavor um and, and those legacy aspects that are present not only in becoming a ghost but sort of uh it's just one of the many things that betrayal legacy is rife with yeah um and there are also rules of betrayal legacy uh that we don't even get to have on this list because they are too uh deep into the game and I wouldn't want to spoil you. So Becoming a Ghost uh, is awesome, but it is um, just one of many awesome things that together make it such a great package. Uh, Root Turmoil is, I think, pretty strong. I, I like it on this list, but I, I could see how uh, it maybe it doesn't stack up as, as hard as some of these others. All right. And, so... and the, clank, the Clank situation is... I think we've set our piece on it. Yeah. So Hitler doesn't know who the fascists are. I think that's a really strong contender here. Um, that's a, that is a that is a good one. Um, one of the and it's so tricky because like it it's a great rule. Um, the thing that I like about it also is that the fact that that rule exists changes the way that you think about every single person at the table because you think about the interact even if you're like a liberal. You think about the interaction between two players and, you know, you might have an idea that, that oh, that player is a fascist and that player is a fascist. But the other fat, but if you're Hitler, like you don't know who the other fascists are. So the fact that like you're going to treat people differently, it, it is such a, it, it makes the game so much more like complicated and interesting. And uh, it's, it's a great rule. Yeah, it's a huge bang for your buck on that. Like, that's what I like in some of these miniature rules. Is so that... I'll tell you this also. Yeah, go on. No, just that. Just like, it's just so yeah. much. It adds so much thought to the game. And it makes the game so much deeper with a singular thing. Yeah. So promissory notes um, are great. I feel like we had a, a good interaction with them. Um, I feel like... If this were somebody else's list, this wouldn't make it on the list because I think that promissory notes are only cool if you're actually really using them and if everybody at the table is like taking them seriously and you know making trades and considering it. And I think that they're only an interesting aspect of the game if you have the right people at the table for it. Hmm. I mean, I think that you always because they, like their existence as long as they're in play 
uh, means that people should be taking advantage of them because it'd be kind of hard to play a game completely with like ignoring them considering how much they add uh i don't think that they kind of existed before that uh in ways of just like i will yeah with in in less and more like uh like arcane verbal yeah more like yeah stuff like that where they're not as built into the game um and i would maybe be okay with twilight imperium uh promissory, promissory notes coming off the list because i think it could get its due in best moment because i i think it gave one of the best moments of the year um uh and millennium blades no take backs is a big thing too i think this is a hard list to because like i i don't have like a super i don't have like a, a dog that much in this race between those three especially um i think i would say hitler doesn't know who the fascists are is like one of the best rules you could ever have because it's it it changes the game and it makes the game much much better yeah, it's tough because at the same time, I wish more games had something written in them about the etiquette, um, like Millennium back Blades, or, yeah. like, like no take backs or something like that, or how to deal with that. Because there are some people who are real like sticklers for rules. And I, I love the idea. And, and, you know, people who want to argue rules, even. Even sometimes, if they're wrong about those rules, they just love to argue. That's usually so when they love no to argue. Backs, so having no take backs is so sweet because it is just cool to be like, hey, it's right here in the book. Uh, easy, plain as day to understand, no take backs. So simple. That's the reason why I love it is because it is so simple. Yeah, I guess I, I do like it a lot. I do like it a lot for how much that it it puts a etiquette into rules and that it also does, as we said, play into uh, the the stress of the game. So here's another thing, though, and, and this is the argument that I was going to make against promissory notes. Could the game exist without promissory notes? I, it has. Yes. It has existed. Promissory notes are. The next question is, yeah, came in. I think they were a absolutely, yeah, uh, an addition to Twilight right? Imperium three, and then they came into the fold in four. So. 1, 2, and the base edition of Twilight Imperium 3 does not include promissory notes. And similarly, Millennium Blades could exist with no takebacks. No take... Here's the thing. No takebacks could exist as a house rule. And everybody would be like, totally fine with it and okay. Hitler doesn't know who the fascists well, are. Well, no, no takebacks aren't even... They're kind of... Aren't they... Yeah. No takebacks is a core house rule of like you yeah. did something so, and by the rules you made a mistake so you have to live with it like that that's punishment like the, yeah. no rules say like take backs are allowed so here's how we here's what we need to figure out because hitler doesn't know who the fascists are and no take backs are at their core like very different concepts because hitler doesn't know who the fascists are is the type of rule that could not possibly be house ruled or thought up the game is sort of structured and built around uh, this concept at seven players and above. Uh, whereas Millennium Blades No Tickbacks, it is a different flavor, a different style of rule, where it's like, maybe this is obvious, but we're going to put it in the rule book because the rule book should be considered like scripture, let's say. Yeah. So this that's why this is sort of like a, a trickier category because... Uh, fundamentally, these are two very different concepts. There is a lot of value to printing that, though. 
there is, right? And in a way, you could argue that Hitler doesn't know who the fascists are, the cornerstone. But but then we're just mincing words. Then that's I think it really is that, more of a rule sort of because like, it's not like it doesn't even factor into the lower player counts, and it is kind of a singular like the only like it, it it's a ton of things based off of the fact that that Hitler just doesn't open their eyes. That's it. The rule is Hitler doesn't open their eyes during the the phase where the fascists are finding out who each other is and that's it and and, but it but it causes like so much from the the minute that people open their eyes and people are looking around really quickly to see if they can gauge any reactions on people's faces it causes a lot from that moment because hitler doesn't know the fascists do know they got to try to signal it without being obvious because they don't want the table to realize who hitler is or who the fascists are the fascists kind of got a play the liberal role while pretending not to know firstly who Hitler is or who the other fascists are. Meanwhile, that Hitler has to like, like kind of test the waters on like who they can trust, who seems like they're oops. They may, they pass another fascist law, stuff like that. But the thing is Hitler should always just be playing the good guy. Like no matter what Hitler needs to always just be playing straight faced because it's not about making the fat like does Hitler necessarily need to know who the fascists are? More importantly, even in a way, it's better that the fasc- like that the fascists act like they don't trust Hitler or like it's it's complicated. No, I, d- I do feel I do feel like they Hitler does need to know that because if if Hitler has been playing very straight and very like liberally the whole game and people are kind of starting to have trust in in Hitler, then that's when you can do the things like Hitler elects like a known fascist like chancellor or something that at least maybe they know and the table doesn't know and Hitler has figured out like you and I together can pass a fascist law and we both look kind of trusted. So if it's coming from me, maybe the people will understand. Or you just throw him under, throw the fascist under and the fascist will understand. Yeah. So that, that there's another different thing. Like the amount of, of gameplay that comes from that single rule alone and how, uh, I, I just feel like there's a lot, there's a lot coming from just that rule alone and how much like it adds a interesting component to social deduction. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we have to make a decision here. I'm fine with either. I'm fine with either or. I think I think that there is something cool like Hitler doesn't know who the fascists are is a great rule, but I think that there is something cool about Millennium Blades uh taking the meta game into its core rules. As it would because it is sort of a, a meta game about yeah. gaming, right? Like yeah. and uh imagine being at a competitive card game tournament and someone says, "Can I take that move back?" Like absolutely no you can't. This is a competitive game. Yeah. That is right. Like there's, 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 you know, fake money riding on this. All right. And so are we that's saying another reason to love it. Are we saying it's no take backs? No take backs. Yeah. All right. Best for rule is no take backs. Let's find a way to make that not red and instead make it big and green and beautiful in the document. Big and green and beautiful. So while you figure that out, let me go through best moment. So we've got our first game of food chain magnate. Uh, Kirby loses by one point in Brass. Alyssa betrays everybody in Secret Hitler. Yellow and Yangtze Wars. Playing Twilight Imperium. 
The stink bug. Stink bug. Ripping the white lion's testes off. Unnamed survivor number one saves the settlement in Kingdom Death. Or Lil Chungus in Kingdom Death. And finally, fascist versus fascist in Secret Hitler. So these definitely need a lot of there are, context. So there are three Kingdom Death moments here so we could so before I, you want to before we go on do you want to just limit that down to one thing yes so let's take off ripping the white lion's testes off because at this point we've done it twice yeah it's more so of a I'm it's not, more of a mechanic I'm right like it's more of something anymore. that can happen like that's not necessarily a thing that we had happen to us that like can never happen to anyone else i would say little chung is it uh, created a lot of funny moments, but I think unnamed survivor is the th- is kind of a unnamed core... survivor is the reason why little Chungus exists. Yeah, and that's also a core reason for uh, why I like Kingdom Death, which is just like a series of moments leading up to like a bizarre ad hoc climax. That it was like it's it's just a very like it's just like a weird. Uh, what's the word that they say for? uh uh in video games that uh emergent gameplay like unnamed survivor was like an emergent thing like an emergent gameplay like that is more of a moment that's not a that's not like this great mechanic that worked out if we were talking about video games man i could tell you about some emergent gameplay but maybe next week uh so let's trim this down a little bit more so yellow and yangtze wars is not going to make it no way Uh, i kind of liked it but yeah, I can oh, see. I what love you mean. it as an idea, but we but we need to pare this down to like, I I don't think that there's a good way to explain Yellow and Yangtze Wars in like a like this should be a story that you can tell. Uh, right? I mean, I feel I feel like the main thing that I was is was this particular thing, which was the first war in Yellow and Yangtze, uh, before anyone even kind of, which is unfair because people didn't know how the mechanics would shake out. Um, uh, it was like. We were playing a three-player game. Charlene is building, like, a city off to the side where Mason and I are building a city together. And I just wanted to see what would happen. And I think, like, the instant, like, regret from the table what and what, like, a heel I became. What? Let's just see what happens. Yeah, let's, let's just see what... what it it was a very, like, let's just see... Like, that was that was what I... Like, my mood of, like, let's just see what happens. And then suddenly, like, I'm the heel of the game where everyone's like, why would you do that? Like, you ruined everyone with that one thing, including yourself. Um, so I kind of like that. But I think that, but I think, I, I don't disagree with you. I think that there's other stronger things on this list. Um, first night of Food Chain Magnate was just a lightning. It was just, like, it was awesome. Uh, especially the second game when we were understanding it was, like, really wild. Um uh it just it, it's it's more of a larger thing um of just like i came away from that with like just burning up with with passion for food chain magnate that has not left me from that moment of just like when i think about food chain magnate i think about especially uh figuring out about food chain magnate and the first couple I'm, realizations yeah. I, i'm still waiting for like there is a game in the future of food chain magnate that is going to be like really, really amazing, but I feel like we haven't hit it yet. Yeah. Because every single time somebody forgets something or somebody overlooks something and sort of makes a mistake. And and it's challenging because Food Chain Magnate is a game about capitalizing on other people's mistakes or seeing things that they didn't see. And um 
there's going to be a game where I lose brutally because people have caught on to all the dumb shit that I'm always doing. And I'm really looking forward to that game. And um, that is, but that's for another uh, part of this list, which is game you want to play more in 2019. So uh, Brass, I lost a game of Brass, which I love to death and have lost every single game. Uh, there was a very intense, super intense game of Brass, a uh, three-player game that ca- came down to ridiculously close numbers, but I had won. Um, and as we're kind of like, like all, you know, like stand up and like, uh, stretch and, uh, reveal our scores. And I'm like, oh, I won by a little bit. That's awesome. I was so excited. It was a great game overall. I had a lot of fun regardless of the outcome. And then I was like, wait, so uh, this doesn't seem right. Something about this count doesn't seem right. Like you shouldn't have, like, should, should Mason have lost to me? And, uh, when we recounted, I lost by a single point, and it was just, it was like a great laugh out loud moment of like, I can't believe that it worked out like that, that it was like, not not only was it so close, but it was a single point, and it was after I suggested a recount. Um, I, I'm not salty about it. I love brass. I don't care about winning brass, um, nor do I usually care much about winning uh, board games in general, but I just thought it was like an amazing moment. I don't know if it hangs on this, but like it was that it was definitely like I felt like it was hilarious. Like I laughed out loud at the concept of like losing by one point after a recount um, in a game that I love so much that I haven't won yet. Um, but that's soon so- though, right? What next game though, right? Yeah, the next one I think is a possible contender for winning this. I'm gonna just bold it really quick. Um, because I can't I don't imagine know it, about that. Because uh, I can't imagine it coming off. Um, th- this is so Alyssa, your LTCP um, doesn't play a lot of board games, and I've I've known her for a long time, and I I, I just it, it's very easy for me to imagine that you explain a game and midway through the game with anyone, right? Like they, they're not fully understanding of the mechanics, so. Uh, in the first, I think it was the first game of Secret Hitler we played uh, one night, uh, you explained the rules to Alyssa, and we're playing for a little bit, and Alyssa is definitely on the liberal side. Like, my my LTCP, for whatever reason, was just, like, trying to, and she explains this as, like, she wanted to make the moment fun, so she's kind of, like, she's, like, this weird middle ground of, like, almost, like, a not helping anyone um wild card she's like a complete wild card whereas we all know that that paul is a fascist he's a terrible liar it's very obvious to figure it out so we're thinking like because she's being a wild card she is probably the other fascist or hitler this is a six-player game so we don't so the mechanic of hitler not knowing there's two fat there's a fascist and there's hitler and they both know each other is um and so we know that there are four liberals a fascist and a hitler um, it seems like we know who the liberals are and the liberals seemed like Alyssa, Mason, me, and who else was there? Was there anyone else? What, uh, Alyssa, Mason, me, and Charlene. Charlene. So, so that's what we're, we're pretty sure about this at this point. Um, and as we're playing the game, uh, things are going pretty well, but like midway through, 
Alyssa makes like bad choices of like electing people that we don't really trust that much. But we're like, but it really does seem like regardless of the fact that she's doing these these confusing things, she's just maybe not sure about the rules. And we're trying to like re-explain to her the rules of like, you know, when you do that, like that these bad things can happen. Right. And she's like, oh, yeah, I, I don't really know. Like and at some point she's kind of just being like. Like doing the, uh, yeah, I just want to see what happened kind of thing. And I just want to shake things up. Yeah, I just want to shake things up. And I really do did think it was like more than anything, like either her A, like I was so convinced that it's either A, she doesn't really understand the rules or B, she's just not that invested, right? Like she's not invested. She doesn't really care about the outcome of the game. And she's just doing these kind of like wild things. Uh, and it doesn't really make that much sense. And just the fact that she played it so stone face of like, yeah, I'm just trying to mix things up. And she she doesn't seem like someone who would be this good at lying. Like, usually people aren't that good at lying in this game. And she just like, st- like just stone face played it the entire time, was so sure she was a liberal up into the last moment where she reveals that like she was Hitler. It was a, it was wild. It was such a, it was like a, the a great example of what a board game, especially Secret Hitler, can bring out in a friend group. And just the fact that she like almost used, uh, her, uh, like newness, her her noviceness, uh, like to the game and possibly overall as like not really someone that plays board games to her advantage to like look like she doesn't exactly understand the rules while she's doing horrible shit and does understand the rules i just thought is like that is like a great example of why secret hitler is an amazing game let me tell you about a secret hitler moment that i thought was actually way more wild which i understand why you wouldn't call it up because you weren't there yeah but I was at a board game meetup, 10 person secret Hitler. I was a fascist. Uh, the person sitting next to me was a fascist. Um, I'm the president. Uh, there is an investigation that comes up where I get to investigate another player. I investigate the fascist who's sitting next to me. Uh, and I, I see that, you know, investigation occurs. I get to see his party. Obviously he's a fascist. And I tell the party, I tell the table, this guy's a fascist. And then he just like is like, no, you're kidding me. You're the fascist. And then this whole game, he and I are just at each other's throats. Like, you're the fascist. You're the fascist. And then somebody else gets an investigation. And she investigates me and says, this guy is the fascist. And then I said, no way. This is ridiculous. Both of you are the fascists. I can't believe this. You guys are conspiring against me. I'm clearly a liberal. And then like... Later in the game, like some way or another, they finally are just like, okay, James is like a fascist. For, forget about this. Um, and then they're like, okay, well, if he's a fascist, then the other guy is clearly a liberal. Uh, and it's like late in the game. It's like almost, you know, the end. There's like uh, four fa- four fascist rules have passed. That's almost So it's pretty much like down to like, if this guy passes liberal, then liberals win. If this guy passes fascist, then fascists win. Uh, so he's, he's given chancellor and, you know, he's sitting next to me. I've been killed. Um, and I see next to me that he is holding a liberal and a fascist tile. And as soon as the president hands him those two tiles, I'm just like, yes. And then he puts down the fascist and we win. And, you know, the table just goes wild because we were at each other's throats this whole time. But this whole time we were working on the same team. And it was it was nuts. It was the kind of thing that you only get 
in Secret Hitler. And I think that it worked even more because of the fact that this is a meetup and we didn't know each other, but we both leaned into it. So yeah, that's a why that's a that cool thing. They don't, Secret Hitler on here twice in strong fashion. So I love stink bug in cockroach poker, but there's a reason why it can't be here. And the reason is that like stink bug is it's not an individual it moment. It's just moment. like a, it's more of like a, like a meta game, right? It's like a more yeah, of like a so meta joke. So stink bug and cockroach poker is the strongest card in the game. Uh, it is the strongest suit in the game uh, simply because it is so fun to slam a card on the table and just yell stink bug at another person. And just doing that over and over is just a lot of fun. Even if it's not. And also, it's really fun to just like hand people a card and just be like, it's a stink bug. And then they, they'll like look at it and be like, holy shit, I can't believe this is a stink bug. And then pass it on to somebody else. So I love the in jokes around stink bug, but it is not. <coughs> it's not a winner. Um, Twilight Imperium. I'm I'm thinking more of anything because like Twilight Imperium for me because it was my it was my birthday I bought Twilight Imperium for this case I want to get Twilight Imperium so badly out probably I have a birthday coming up this year um so hopefully we can get Twilight Imperium out as like it's, I I think that game is unbelievably good and I don't think it gets its due at all then that's probably due to the fact that it's ridiculously long. Um, but, but but Twilight Imperium can't be this moment because a lot of it wasn't good. Um, I think most of it was good, but the moment that I'm talking about was the moment that you talked to me about give me back my ceasefire because my ceasefire is very important. I'm the strongest person here. Uh, I'll trade it back for whatever. And uh, like like I won't attack you. It's fine. I just want like I'll give you trade goods. I'm just I just need it uh, because like it's very valuable. I don't want it out of the I table need anymore. To trade it to somebody else. We we yeah. So we have like this huge long conversation of like I know you're gonna attack me, and you're like no, I'm really not gonna attack you. I really won't. I don't have any interest in attacking you. Why would I attack you? You like convince me like there's no reason for this. Why would you have like I just want my ceasefire back. It's like I'm realizing at this point I'm very strong. It's a really bad thing to have out on the table for the rest of the game. I just don't want it out. I'm uncomfortable with it. I'll do whatever it takes to get it back. I just really want it back. So like we make a small trade based off of this and I'm thinking like I, I understand what you're saying and then immediately after trading that back you attacked me. And I I thought that was like the culmination of like the best moment of twilight imperium of just like a long a a long drawn out negotiation for your ceasefire to immediately attack me gotta have it spicy i thought it was pretty cool do you think like maybe it doesn't hang with some of the other things here but i i thought it was really really cool i thought it was the best moment of the entire day of it was my so entire cool birthday. and then the game ended yeah, like that. That fight was the last thing that happened before we had to put the game away. That's a good reason to and maybe say that, that was uh, such a. It really bummed me out that we couldn't keep going because I didn't get to see the fruits of my of my labor. All right, so we have first night of Fuche Magnate. That might not hang because, as you said, there's probably better nights so, of Fuche Magnate in the future. So we didn't talk about unnamed survivor number one. Yeah, and so what happened when the sky rained spiders yeah so 
Okay, so so we came back to the settlement and we got a random card uh, of the settlement cards that said that the spy the, the sky was raining spiders and we had to fight the spiders off before we did anything. There was some bad uh, things that would have happened to us if we didn't fight them off. Uh, the first person that we had try and fight them off is was insane and just began Pollyanna. eating the spiders. Yeah, Pollyanna just keep started eating the spiders. Uh, that was like uh, we needed two people out of the four returning survivors to get a positive yeah. result. No, they didn't have to be returning survivors. So th- this was the thing. Is oh, yeah. We, it was just, we needed to elect four people. Oh, so we thought Pollyanna got a disorder, and that's a problematic because she was one of the players. Like, she was, a, she was, like, skilled. She had reasons to exist. She had, like, a sink strike. So we didn't want to send anybody to fight the spiders who we, like, were using in combat. So we yeah. wanted to send... Uh, you know, we had a population of 12 of which we were just using four people. So we said, let's just use some of these other survivors, just these like number, like no name red shirts to just go fight the spiders for us. Yes. Um, so we did. So we sent one of the completely unnamed survivors, like just as like a rule of like, we, we can, if something pops up, that's going to be uh, permanent, we'll create a name for the survivor. But otherwise we're just kind of sending the survivor in to like, roll so that if anything bad happens like we lose an unnamed idiot and i think we got like do we get a a lantern like a a lantern 10 for the best possible result that was like end the phase this survivor just killed everything just killed all the spiders and they get all these permanent stats and it was like it, it, it was like an immediate creation of like one of our strongest survivors uh alongside like a great story moment alongside like all this other stuff that for the rest of that day where we played like multiple rounds of kingdom death um multiple lantern years of kingdom death uh we had this unnamed survivor number one with all these like really crazy stats there was just like this random hero that stepped up in the settlement that was a nobody didn't have a name yet and just fought off all the the spiders and was like hey what's up and we're just like unnamed survivor number one you are you are the new king of the settlement you just fought all this you fought this huge issue that we had and then i think you said we have to give this person a name and i said no they already have a name unnamed survivor number one number one and that was it so you're saying no i liked that moment so but that's just kingdom death right kingdom death is a game about those moments that doesn't mean that, it doesn't deserve to be on here. Mean that it doesn't deserve to be here. Um, I don't know if Brass deserves to be on here. I just took it off. Um, I'll say this also: I, Alyssa is not impressed with this moment. Every time that this moment gets brought up, Alyssa is like, "I don't know why you guys thought that was such a." Big this is a regular thing for her, right? She was just like, "Yeah, I was playing the game." But I thought, I just thought, I just thought it was interesting because I feel like the whole table had a a, a preconceived notion that like she didn't understand it or just doesn't play a lot of games and she like used that against everyone in like a really interesting I, I way also, whether it was conscious or not you, i want to remind you that i didn't buy this when 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 she said this i was like oh okay yeah you're just gonna shake things up huh she's just shaking things up and then everyone was like whoa just calm down and i, I and i it, I, I really just that, felt I like i really just felt like she doesn't understand it no way I knew. Uh, you know what? I kind of do like me because um, I don't want to toot my own horn here, but I do like me uh, having the recount and then losing. 
Um, it, this isn't a me thing only. It's something that makes me really happy about our friend group and our, our the people we play with. Uh, when I was playing uh, Secret Hitler with my family, I noticed a lot of cheating. Uh, a lot of people would, would would like try to cheat when they could, opening their eyes during those phases, uh, having to redo what? that phase because yeah, people would do that. I mean, we had like some younger like teenage um, kids, and uh, uh, and that being that's boring. Yeah, trusting the it, it does it completely undoes the the point of the game, and I can imagine like overall games hinge on trust because there's no mechanic behind it in a in a in a video game. Uh, you know, there's there's cheating. But uh, there's like literal cheating, like hacking the game and stuff like that, or or like having like a cheat engine run. But uh, the point is that like for the most part, you trust that someone is playing by the rules of the game because they're literally forced to play by the rules of the game. Whereas with board games, it's important to have uh, trust in the other people because if people are trying to uh, like take a little extra when they can or uh, not mention something that's going to affect them negatively, then the board game's rules start falling apart and you don't have legitimate winners. So I think it is important that uh, that like we are the type of people that it's more important to me to have a fair game and lose by one point than to just end it there and be like, yeah, I won, and then think about it afterwards that, did I win? Like, it kind of seems like, we should have done a recount or something like that. And, and just, just the moment itself of like, like we're, we're talking about best moment. Like that was a laugh out loud kind of like, like every single, like, like Charlene, you and I are like laughing out loud at like the, the, the almost a like cosmic joke of me winning and being so happy and so excited. Like I finally won a game of brass and then starting to think about it, look at the board, look at the, the scores and be like, something doesn't seem right. And then the, the the joke of it all being I lost by a singular point. Like it, it wasn't even two points. It was a point. Yeah. It's, it's crazy when it's also one point because it's hard to like think about what could I have done differently that would have been the differential of a point. Anything. I will say that two of these, um, two of these moments, fascist versus fascist, and uh, Twilight Imperium, if that's still on here, hinge on me lying. So, I guess that says something about me as a person. Just that I, I sure do love lying and getting away with it in board games. Well, I wasn't there for fascist versus fascist, so this may, that makes this this award harder for me. Um, but I do think that like the concept alone was something that like, and you had to call me about that. Like I, I was, I, at, have to call I was at Priya's it. that night and you had to call me. And I remember, cause I was like, I, when I got that call, cause you were like, I, I, and this is something that you would never do, but you were like, I had to call you about this thing that happened at this board game meetup. And I, I think it really impressed me because I had to explain that to Priya and explain like what just what you just did at a board game meetup. And I think that I really like that moment despite not being there because it, it ended up being a moment for me or just like a, a, a pride in like, look at board games, look at what they can do, because this is what happens when you have a genre or like a medium that puts people together in a room and the stories that can kind of come out of it like can be that exciting that like you're not someone that would normally call me to say I have to tell you about this thing that I just did but it was like it, it, it like in our entire friendship this was the first time you really felt like you had to do that for a moment in a board game that says but that at does... the same time so I, I think that it's a great moment I, I if you want to choose something 
uh, where we were both there, like, cause this is like the WTDG awards. I do totally understand for me. That was, um, a really big moment. Like it was probably my favorite moment of board gaming this year. Um, you know, also just the fact that I was like at a meetup and, and, you know, like one of the things that I've was meaning to do this year, like one of my new year's resolutions for 2018 was to make more like-minded friends. Yeah. So, so even just sort of like being there at the meetup was, uh, it was a, it was a step in the right direction. This is so really tough. You... This is super tough for me, dude. I, I think that like unnamed survivor is a good runner up. I don't know, like, because the un the unnamed survivor thing, it, the 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 important thing about Kingdom Death is that these little moments are what make it that like XCOM style game where where and that happens in XCOM like all the time. Yeah, where somebody just like makes a crit or like kills two aliens at once, and then it's like, okay, this is a person who like I didn't tweak their name, I didn't like change their outfit or give them any custom gear, but now, now I gotta. And 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 the other reason that I like Kingdom Death Unnamed Survivor is that we we do play a lot of it, kind of like when you, like we'll we'll we have had We've been playing it. Yeah. We have had two plays where we played it for like four plus hours, and this happened at the be very beginning, the moment we sat down in the last play, and it was a defining trait of it set the stage for it, what of, came of after what came afterwards because, it changed, because this it shaped our society. Yeah, like our like we had this person like this person that was a nobody became a huge major player in the future of the settlement. And, but it's kind of funny and it reminds me a lot of like darkest dungeon and XCOM because these are games where something bad is always happening. So whenever something good happens, um, it means so much more. Yeah. Because you don't expect something good to ever be happening. Yeah, and this had a big reaction to everyone. We had a big group there. It had a big reaction. Like I, I overall like the unnamed survivor story. Um, I don't know the fascist versus fascist thing. I think I could see winning just because of the fact that like I enjoyed the story and I wasn't even there for it, and you liked it so much you had to call me. That's a pretty big thing. That's mine. If it's yours, then I feel weird being like it's not mine. You, you are totally okay to say that because of the fact that you weren't there. I mean, like you know. I think it wins. Hell yeah. And I think Alyssa betrays everyone can not win. And then we'll have unnamed survivor be the runner up. All right. I found something uh, more obnoxious than chicken wings to eat. What What is something more obnoxious than chicken wings? Yeah. To, to, for you to listen to over the mic. Uh, and that would be uh, pho. Oh, the slurping. Yeah. You just ordered it. I just got it. Oh, all right. So we'll, Try and hold the slurps back. Um, is this even a good award? No. Okay. I don't think so either. I'm thinking, like, there's not enough. Um, Kingdom Death wins. Best filler. This is a bad award. You think this is a bad award? Because we don't do fillers. I wish we did we more fillers. But I, th this, you, you just don't, you don't think this is a good award? I don't think, I don't think we play enough filler games for this to work. And the list overlaps too much with a uh, best gateway. Okay. All right. We just took two awards off. I mean, we do have to try to get through this. So yeah. Okay. So do you want to go on to best designer? Point. I don't like this one. You don't like this? <laughs> you could really? 
I don't like this one. You don't like this one either? I don't, I don't think about design. I think it's because you, you think about designers so much more than I do. Uh, so, so maybe this is worth, this is actually a great award to have because, uh, you get to do all the talking while I eat my dinner. Okay. Because I just don't think about this stuff because let's see, we have best designer. We've got, uh, Cole Whirl from Root, Rainer Knizia, uh, Adam Poots. Is that right? Adam Poots. That is right. Uh, poor Adam. I hope that he can stop Poots soon. Martin Wallace, Jamie Stegmeier, and Isaac Childress. So what makes somebody a good designer? Like, what does that mean? Uh, uh, for me, a designer is someone who is consistently, uh, you know, creating cool content, uh, creating content that is, um, you know, still their own, but also being able to sort of get out there and, and make different things, uh, at, you know, sort of like someone who has like a, a vast scope of work, but also sort of has their own like flavor, their own style. So you could see something and say like, oh, this is a Stonemeyer game, right? Yeah. Um, so so this is interesting because you've also included here uh, Cole Whirl, who made Root, who also made Vast, uh, which is a game you Did he, ma- he didn't make Vast. And- just th- that, w- that was from the production company, but he made uh, oh. Pox. Uh, what was it? He he's he only made I think one game before Root, and then they remade it recently on Kickstarter as like a more deluxe thing. Especially after he had come up with Root, I can't think of the name. Um, I didn't end up backing it surprisingly. Um, these are so. And then also, yeah, Isaac Childress is an interesting one as well. I mean, he's he's pretty big as a designer, even though we haven't really recognized Gloomhaven at all. Um, he's also like I also kind of appreciate his how often he interfaces with the community. He's talking a lot. Um, we also, I'm, I'm still kind of awaiting. We, what happened with like, I ordered the Gloomhaven expansion. Uh, uh, what the, what is it called? Forgotten, Forgotten Circles. Circles um, earlier this year. And that was supposed to come out in December and it didn't. Um, but uh, I think of, I think it's a big accomplishment for what he did for board games. Even if we're like kind of a little bit past Gloomhaven, I think we'll, we might come back to it this year. And he, I would love to play it if we could like consistently do yeah, it. Yeah, that's the that's hard the... thing, right? Um, and yeah, and it sometimes also feels like Gloomhaven is really, uh, it's like one of the hardest games to get to the table just for how like clunky it is. Like sometimes like building the, the rooms and, uh like doing admin doing all the admin the miniature admin kind of stuff and uh then we also have the whole issue of like having different running different games at the same time uh we've kind of uh house ruled away into uh making that work but i think that it's also frustrating because it's like i want to move my story and do my things you want to move your story and do your things which creates another issue um but i still think that isaac childra's is uh, a pretty amazing designer. Um, so if this is like a award that you're saying that like you don't uh, have a lot of stake in. Uh, uh, Co-World, don't have a dog in this fight. Yeah, Coworld Root is like Coworld put himself on the map with Root, um, just as like whether or not uh, Root wholly works out in play uh, is kind of insignificant. It's more that like he created a like a, a masterwork of like a like a piece he created like almost like a an art piece of all these different uh factions that are very asymmetrical and how they work together uh and and just really uh lit up like this board game world um reiner canizia has been like a, almost like an ecosystem yeah which is 
amazing because like from start to finish root is such a uh thematic and interesting game that doesn't have that like thematic disconnect like it has no dissonance with the the theme he originally created that like everything about root works together in a really interesting way um reiner knitzi has been making games for a really long time uh we only have the games that we have played uh from these developers so i have uh yellow and yanksy as just like a a you know yellow and yanksy is a um kind of spin-off uh, or like a, uh, of uh what is it uh tigris and euphrates and uh it is definitely something that draws upon how much time he how much uh skin he has in the game uh adam poots is the sole designer of kingdom death uh he creates all like the lore the cards the balancing um uh even like commissions the sculpts and how he wants them and everything like that uh that's a pretty unbelievable undertaking for one person to do uh but he certainly is well compensated for having the uh the best uh the highest grossing kickstarter game and for the absurd amounts that people will pay uh my myself included i bought him a car this year uh martin wallace is is another designer that is like prolific alongside knizia um, but for, we played two of his games this year, Brass, Birmingham, and Wildlands. And the thing that I want to say about him is that those are both incredible games that have literally nothing to do with each other. I think in a lot of these other cases, the designers are like, you know what you're getting into with them. And Wallace is famous for having uh, eco- like Euro economic games, and specifically the mechanic of loans. I don't know why that's a thing that like Martin Wallace is known for having loans in all of his games. Uh, but Wildlands is an interesting game of like something that I'm, I know we'll play more of in 2018. Uh, but has literally nothing to do with the rest of the scope of his design work and is, like, really fantastic. Um, Jamie Stegmeier is prolific. Uh, I know for a fact I will be playing a Jamie Stegmeier uh, game. Not that he designed it, but uh, uh, Wingspan is a Stonemeyer game. Jamie Stegmeier owns Stonemeyer Games, and Stonemeyer is responsible for Charterstone and Scythe and Viticulture and the upcoming game Wingspan. Uh, Jamie Stegmeier does uh, these YouTube videos where he talks about his favorite mechanics or favorite things about games. Um, really love Jamie Stegmeier as a person. I probably like him the most out of all these people just for the fact that he is uh, very transparent. Um, he talked a lot about the campaign, uh, the Kickstarter campaign with Scythe, his individual issues with Kickstarter, why he wants to move away from it, why he thinks it's like a bad platform for him and why people who don't have money should be doing Kickstarter, but why it's a huge hassle for people who have any money. Um, and yeah, Isaac Childress. So, um, the ones I would say right away, the two that I'm going to bold in out of these, out of all these and get the immediate uh uh attention to would be martin wallace and jamie stegmeier uh i like martin wallace on this and jamie stegmeier for the reasons that i just said um jamie stegmeier and martin wallace will both like continue to be big names in this year but if you you say you don't have a horse in this race at all right so am i just electing this like at all okay so if i'm just literally gonna elect it I'm going to have to go with uh, Martin Wallace. And the reasons why is that I... Over Stegmeier? Over Stegmeier, yeah. And the reasons why is, like, I absolutely love 
Brass and Wildlands. And I I just I think I'm more impressed by anything with the uh like the scope that like even when you look at the stuff that Jamie Stegmaier's done, like yeah, sure, Scythe and Charterstone don't really have anything to do with each other, but they are like worker placement games, right? Like Scythe is sort of a uh, worker placement game in some respects. Uh, I feel like it makes more sense to watch the way that Jamie Stegmeyer works than Martin Wallace, where Martin Wallace can be all over the place, at, at least in this year, and then still do like incredible things that have nothing to do with each other. Like Brass is a heavy Euro game, like one of the heaviest Euro games that clocks in at like two hours. And then Wildlands is this like very simple small easy to set up but still like complex uh uh like arena like uh dudes on a map game ish kind of thing it's like if someone made like um like an action show for toonami and also made a historical documentary like that's the yeah and that's why i like martin wallace on this so much is like i want to recognize the fact that like the range here is absolutely insane is like there's no reason why you should be able to make brass birmingham because a lot of designers like fall back on what they know right like you look at a lot of designers and it's like here's you know a designer that just keeps coming up with like very good heavy euro games because they know it like that's what they know that's what they know how to balance around so it's kind of wild to say well wildlands to say that that someone is like i've spent my life doing uh heavy euros and then now i'm gonna do a 15 to 30 minute arena game called wildlands that i want to like create as like a like almost a um like a forever like he wants to create as like an evergreen game where they want to release sets and continuing for the next couple of years of like more factions more boards and grow it out as like this ip is like it has nothing to do like that whole any of the concepts i said about wildlands like nothing has to do with a heavy euro like brass and both are amazing in their own right and that's why i recognize uh so yeah got it martin wallace winner for best designer with a runner-up jamie stegmeyer uh here's another Next award is most satisfying which is a this is a wacky category man yeah some of these categories are added to pad it out but i don't even know if we need padding do you think that i think i think i, I thought of this category can you tell as me how most satisfying is different from uh best game um, it's like a, like, I think there's something like, I, I'm trying to like satisfying is like an endorphin rush of like the way that the mechanics work, make you feel good about the game. I, I don't know if it needs to be here. I don't know if this needs to be, to stay on here as an award, but it's just something just that give I give the award up. real quick. All right. So the runner up, here's the, well, here's the, the nominees, Breast Birmingham, Terraforming Mars, Gaia Project, uh, Betrayal Legacy, Food Chain Magnate, and Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Uh, the winner is Gaia Project with um, runner-up Brass Birmingham. So uh, congratulations to those games. Uh, we did it. I don't even feel bad about that. Not not the way I like to run, the, run it, but uh, I don't even feel bad about that. Uh, Do you ever think that like we're so good at giving out awards that maybe we should just um, only give out awards and that should be the whole the whole podcast all the time yeah i mean it's like it flows we just we know how to give out awards like we could i can make up a million awards and we could just keep giving and them everyone out. feels good about it everyone likes to win an award people like to argue win arguments i feel like we should just constant we should just be like the golden globes except uh 
every week. Yeah, just every week we'll have a new award. Um, so the final awards we have here are all individual, which is fun because we don't have to argue over them. It's just going to go to someone. There, there doesn't need to be something that we agree on here. Um, game you wish you played more of in 2018. and uh, This could also be game you want to play more of in 2019 because you're, you're – title here is a little pessimistic yeah right you're thinking about what you wish you played more instead of what you're going to okay well how about we change that yeah game you want to play more of in 2019 so on the list we have brass birmingham gaia project food chain magnate kingdom death monster betrayal legacy Yellow and Yangtze, Gloomhaven, and Terraforming Mars. So these which are just got a new expansion announced. Yeah, these are individual. Um, so let's try to let's, let's figure this out. Uh, hmm. I mean, a lot of For these me, I want to play is... more of. Like it's frustrating. Like like it's an interesting thing. Like when I'm trying to think of the thing I want to play the mo- more of in in 2019, I'm also trying to think of stuff that like I feel frustrated that it didn't get its due in 2018. Oh, you mean like food chain magnate? Uh, sure, that could be on there. That that's on there for you. So for me, the two main contenders here are food chain magnate. Also, betrayal legacy is not even fair. This shouldn't yeah. even be on the list because it's so, like, maybe maybe it's here for you. Uh, I, I mean, can I see I why this would make I definitely didn't get a chance. For... Like betrayal legacy was something that like I feel I almost thought actually now i'm thinking of it i almost thought of this category because of betrayal legacy like it is such a fantastic game i've had only i've heard only good things about it and i can't wait to play more of it i i just want to add risk legacy to this list i don't want to add risk legacy to this list um yellow and yangtze is a game that i feel like i've mentioned a lot in these rewards and it hasn't won anything and i feel bad because i i want to play it more and it keeps getting shoved off the table for different reasons so like that's another reason why i would want to have this award um it's almost like this award is like if you had infinite time and you could just like snap your fingers and be sitting down and play a game, uh, which of these on here are you like most frustrated that it didn't get its due? Uh, I feel like we played a bunch of Gaia Project and I want to play more Gaia Project. We haven't played, I haven't played Gaia Project in a little while, uh, but I do want to play more of it. But it's not like I didn't play a lot of it in 2018. Uh, with Brass Birmingham, I do want to get Brass Birmingham to the table again uh, fairly soon. Uh, but even then, it's like it's another game that got its due in 2018. So for me, uh, I'm gonna say that those two are off. Uh, Kingdom Death we played a lot of, but also like I do need to play a lot more Kingdom Death. Yeah. So for me personally, you know, and since this is personal for me, it's Food Chain Magnate and uh, Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven is a very big meaty game that I've only seen like such a little slice of. Haven't even retired a character yet. Um, so it would be really fun to just like open some boxes. But the thing is, is the admin, the upkeep is uh, a challenge. So what are you going to say? You're going to say food chain? I'm going to say food chain. And maybe uh, even with the, the ketchup mechanic coming out, like seeing uh, how that fits into the game will be pretty neat. I don't know if that's this year, but definitely something I want to play more of. So, I, I like I said, like, I love Brass Birmingham to death, man. Like, I want to try and get it to the table anytime I can. Um, but I feel like it got it to do in 2018, and I hope it continues to get it to do. Gaia Project, I 
I have at your house for the sole reason that like it always is going to be a contender on the table, right? Like it's never not going to be off the table. Even when you're not here, it's a contender. I, which is interesting. Um, I, I think, so if I'm looking at this, I think the main, I think the thing I would say is like, for the purpose of this award, I would say I feel the most bad for, it's hard to get, but you see, legacy games are hard like that. Um, I'm just going to go with I it mean, though. From a dollars per hour perspective though, I feel like you, you are required financially to get kingdom death on the table more. That's the other thing, right? Is like, I have so much coming. Like I, I have like thousands of dollars worth of kingdom death coming to me now. Not even, not even considering the thousands of dollars of kingdom death I have right in my room anyway. So I'm going to cook. I'll, I'll, I'll give the kingdom death board games. We want to play more what of life. You have board games. We want to play more of in 2019 individually awarded. We go food chain magnate for Mason and kingdom death monster for me. Uh, most played game is a very quick award because this is a factual thing. Um, I'm realizing because I played a ton of villainous, a ridiculous amount of villainous, but Kingdom Death was the one that I played like literally most of because I played tons of solo Kingdom Death. I got to like Lantern Year 17, and now we're on Lantern Year five or six in a new campaign. So the amount of time I played Kingdom Death has been pretty absurd. I just wanted to like to highlight. Uh, the amount of time you spent playing the amount of games. time I played spent playing Kingdom Death. I don't have a horse and I don't even know what I spent the most time playing. Gaia? Maybe Gaia Project. I play I don't know. It could be Gaia Project, yeah. It could be Millennium Blades. Well, what do you want to give the award to then? I don't know, because it's most played. This is like a factual thing. But I don't know what my most played game is. It might be Millennium Blades. How many times have you played Millennium Blades? Probably around six. And those are like two-hour games, right? Two or three hours. I don't know. And you Maybe played Gloomhaven Guy Project even? like five times, right? Maybe Gloomhaven, even. I think I've played over ten scenarios in Gloomhaven. Maybe like twelve scenarios. It might be Gloomhaven for you. I think it's Gloomhaven for me. Just formatting. Have you heard my slurping? Uh, Are you getting any good slurps? Most anticipated. I'm really excited. Oh, there you go. That's a good one, right? It's going to be hard to edit out. Most anticipated. Most anticipated. I'm very excited about this award. Uh, this is something we can we can chew over a little bit more. Um, I don't even know if this needs to be individual. I think this is the kind of thing that possibly having like a conversation about what we agree on as the most anticipated is worthwhile but also it's a very subjective thing um what do you think do you think it should be in, it should continue to be an individual award or should it be an agreed upon thing of like something of like we are both so excited about this game coming out or, um, do, or leave it individual well we're not gonna agree so maybe it's fun to have it as a as an argument okay i, I run I, me down the list uh i i think that that's i think that it's good not to have it as an individual also because uh, running down this list, maybe we can have arguments over like what we think. Maybe we want to be hype men, right? Yeah. Hype the other person up. So Black Rose Wars is the first thing on here. No surprise. Uh, did you end up backing Black Rose Wars or did you pull off of that? I did. You did back it. I backed it. So I backed hype, uh, Black Rose Wars at the 
like highest level this was like the kickstarter campaign that i felt like ran the hardest with like constantly giving us insane information and new things uh black rose wars is a game by what isn't mickey mouse in black rose wars yes well there's there's like an effed up weird version of mickey mouse in black rose wars black rose wars is a uh lot of things it is a uh, procedurally tile-generated map where players start as mages and they basically kind of do like a miniature version of deck building uh, based off of the type of magic that they're playing. Um, there's a lot of interesting things. I, I, like, I Considering this this game isn't out, I, like I've watched things, but I'm not entirely sure on certain rules. But definitely the concept of like, it, it is a shit ton of miniatures a shit ton of cards uh i like the concept of like picking a mage for their type of spells that they are into um it has a ridiculous amount of spell classes to choose from um all the way down to like chronomancy and necromancy and uh like black magic and blood magic and shit like that it's i, I am fascinated uh for black rose wars Arena is Arena. The contest is on a lot of people. I've been watching and most anticipated lists. I've seen it on a lot of uh, most anticipated lists. It's another Kickstarter game with lots of minis. Um, you are uh, basically there's different ways to play. It. I think that's one of the big things. Is like Arena try is trying to do everything all at once. I I wonder how it will end up uh, working because it is a like campaign game where you can play a large like eighty mission campaign um uh you don't have to play all the campaigns i think like it'll have branching stories but um i well i know it has branching stories but 80 individual missions in a branching campaign path uh uh it is a game also where i think the primary focus of it is like a multiplayer game where you are choosing uh different characters uh similar to a, like a moba that have their own abilities and cooldowns kind of like associated with those characters uh, and fighting on a map that is like uh, there's tons of different maps, tons of different ways to lay out the maps and all this kind of stuff. Uh, Big, big Kickstarter game. Tainted Grail is a game. Do you know anything about Tainted Grail? I do not. Okay, so this is a great example of something that I can explain to you. Uh, This was the like fourth largest Kickstarter of all time. And it had only recently closed. Um, It is a uh, game. It is a co-op game, but you can also play it uh, solo. And it basically combines RPG mechanics with uh, the seventh continent. Are you familiar with the seventh continent? I am not. So the idea here is that uh, the, the, the artwork is beautiful. The miniatures and everything are beautiful. The main idea here is that you start out as uh, a nobody, as the B team, uh, in a world where uh, there's this encroaching, like, it's very Dark Souls-esque because everything is, um, in this encroaching fog that has kind of, like, uh, threatened and killed. All these monsters are, are spawning. And the, the world's greatest heroes kind of went to try and fight these monsters in this fog away, and they all died. And for whatever reason, they're all scattered. They're all dead. There's no way that we, the the world can basically be saved. So the, the, the kind of, like, losers or outcasts are the next to kind of go fight. And you start out as someone, and 
uh, a character that uh, you you choose that's going to have a unique strength with a unique weakness, something that like they are uh, th- that is always going to like plague them and blight them. Uh, they'll have their own unique story. The big thing here, and the main way this game works, is that you are moving around this map and. Uh, there is like a ridiculous amount of story stuff. The way Seventh Continent kind of worked out is that uh, you are uh, moving. There's these tiles that represent uh, like areas of this continent, and when you go to the tiles, there's tons of like almost choose your adventure story there with what you want to do next and uh, different little puzzles or things to find out. And Tainted Grail is is similar where uh, all the areas that you're moving to will have tons of story, tons of choices to make. Uh, and interesting stuff like that. Uh, you can play multiplayer. There's a lot of interesting stuff with this game. Uh, it was, like I said, the the I believe the fourth fourth most um, highest grossing Kickstarter. Uh, it made like five or it made like six million American dollars, um, and uh, it looks fan- phenomenal. Uh, I really just like the idea of like picking a character and then all the story elements and how much the story elements actually play off of your character. Uh, really interesting thing. Uh, we have food chain magnate ketchup mechanic as uh, most anticipated. Um, I don't think we know anything about this. Do we know anything about ketchup mechanic? Just the name. And, Just the name. And what it plans to do. Yeah. Um, so uh, it deserves to be on this most anticipated because we already like food chain magnate. So it's the only thing on here that is a known quantity uh, that is like a major expansion that will add onto food chain magnate i'm really interesting to interested to see what the ketchup magnet uh, mechanic will do because one of our biggest complaints with about food chain magnate is that there's kind of no way to get back into the game once you've made a mistake and the game can be kind of long i think those though that scares a lot of people and it's really frustrating for people so if there's any mechanic if, if there's a uh a good uh addition to the game that shores up these weaknesses uh i think that'll be really interesting i also think that um uh, expansions are interesting overall for good games because, uh, like, it, what if what if food chain magnate ketchup mechanic is like try is like a terraforming Mars prologue where it becomes something that takes this great great game and adds something so incredible it just makes the overall game so much better in a way that you could never imagine going back to it. And it uh, like reinvigorates a lot of food chain magnate for us. I think that's why that's on here. Also, what if it adds something that actually invites more people to play food chain magnate, right? Like, I think Mm -hmm. that's the most important thing is like, you think about like, who do I want to sit down with? Like who of my friends can tolerate this game? And maybe this expansion will help broaden that list out. Yeah. So do you know anything about barrage? Nope. Uh, Man, I am so happy I don't know about all these games. So here's another Kickstarter. I don't know if it's as flashy as these others. Um, Certainly not as flashy as, like, Tainted Grail Arena or Black Rose Wars for having all their minis. Uh, Barrage is a heavy, heavy Euro. It basically seeks to be one of the heaviest Euros. Um, It has a lot of interesting things going for it, uh, and it looks fascinating. The idea of it is that uh, it is an alternate timeline where uh water power is the main thing so dams are like the main source of energy for everyone kind of like a steampunky uh vibe uh players start out by picking companies that are all asymmetrical so 
uh, think of anything, uh, if anything, this is going to be similar to like Gaia Project, where you're picking an extremely asymmetrical uh, company kind of thing and dealing with uh, this this uh, shared player board. The player board is a uh, long series of streams of like of of uh, of like major uh, rivers, and you are kind of like putting down different things like dams or uh, conduits and and uh, uh, batteries to be able to to make more energy. There's a lot of individual interesting mechanics for barrage though that are kind of hard to explain. The main one of the main interesting things is that putting a dam lower down on the board where the streams are kind of ending before they're hitting the the ocean if this makes any sense is cheaper because a lot of stuff has to happen before the water hits that dam. Whereas putting a dam up higher on the board is more expensive because it'll ha- the water will run through that dam first. Um, and every round, basically, uh, wa- uh, uh, water is running running down different uh, areas. So you can you have all these interesting things about do we put a dam higher up and then maybe possibly like hurt someone else's infrastructure. Um, a lot of different things here to say. Uh, one of the other things I would say that it's very unique to Barrage is that uh, producing things uh, costs like time in the game. So you have this like basically this wheel, if you can imagine it, where you're saying like, oh, I'm putting uh, a X amount of workers and my like all this uh, equipment to creating a new dam. So it'll basically be tied up for a certain number of rounds. And as this thing kind of spins, uh, you'll it'll eventually let your equipment back out. If that if any of this makes any sense, probably doesn't because I'm trying to explain like a very uh, unique, weird concept. So yeah, just a an interesting heavy euro. I don't think it's as flashy as some of these other things, but uh, I think it could be one of the kind of things where we would play and just be like obsessed about. Um, escape plan. Here's a here's an interesting game. Uh, I think this is Vlada, right? Something like that. Who who made escape plan? It's definitely a, like a fan, like a very well known designer, and the art was is by Vital Lacerda. Yeah, Vital Lacerda. How did I forget that? So yeah, it's Lacerda. Um, and the art by Ian O'Toole, it is like a getaway game. Um, it also is kind of like heavier because it's Lacerda, but, uh, uh, the art is very slick. You are like trying to get out of the city after a heist, uh, by like betraying other people, trying to get them in trouble with the cops while you escape. Um, definitely a really interesting game. Um, I that, like it for its theme. I think that I don't think any other game is has done something exactly like this before. The, the the game that I could think of that has like the most similar theme was uh, what was it block? Block uh, block by block. Block by block, and that wasn't a very good game. Yeah. So you're yeah you're playing as like a criminal basically here, and you're trying to run away from the cops. Uh, a little bit different by block by block, but an interesting theme. Um, and it's like kind of competitive where you're trying to make it out of the city while after a big heist with the other players. So the game kind of starts after this successful heist. So you're trying to uh, hide yourself away in different hideout areas, make more money, and then eventually escape the city. And there's a lot of interesting things to it. Very heavy game. Uh, interesting concept. And that's why it's on here. Uh, Eclipse. Do you know anything about Eclipse? Thankfully, I do not. Uh, Eclipse had a second edition run by Colossal. Colossal is a newer 
um, producer production company that has done a couple games. One of their big uh, productions recently has been Western Legends. Uh, they've been like massive Kickstarter uh, company. Um, so they basically bought the rights and uh, created a second edition of Eclipse. Um, the campaign didn't like go amazingly well. Uh, and there were some weird things to for that, but I'm still very excited about it. Eclipse is just probably in the board game community uh, thought of as like one of the most, if not the most, uh, amazing 4X game. Uh, you play as like a asymmetric faction on a board that you're being that is being created over time as you're exploring it, and you know resource wars, all this kind of stuff. The main uh, Eclipse was created as like a game that could do all the interesting things that Twilight Imperium does, but in like a quarter of the time. So it is like a 4X game, uh, space game that is lasting at like two hours, two, three hours. Um, big, big, interesting game. It is like really high up on Board Game Geek's list. And this second edition uh, basically uh, ties in with a lot of the older edition stuff that people have liked. It's a game that like people literally play competitive at tournaments. Uh, and I'm really excited to get my hands on it. It's kind of out of print. It's very expensive to get at this point. Uh, so the second edition looks really nice. And finally, Imperial is a game by level 99, right? It is. It Imperial is a colon spells in steam. Super gorgeous and beautiful game. Uh, kicks another Kickstarter. And uh, I backed it uh, to be put it over the edge to get solo play. So uh, you can thank me for the solo play in Imperial. And uh, just like any other level 99, amazing artwork. It is a... It's like a economic steam train game. And I think train game, train game yeah. train games are interesting because people are always saying like, why are there so many trains in board games? But it makes a lot of sense. Like you're creating a route, uh, it like all the, like creating a route resources, uh, all these kind of things obviously lend to, uh, like satisfying board game mechanics. So it's interesting to yeah. have this like almost uh, fantastical, uh, train game. I, there's a lot of train games, but I don't think of any of them as like fantasy in the way that Imperial is. Yeah, so this is the re this game got me interested in playing a train game, which I think is is worthwhile. But more worthwhile is that it got me interested in playing train games when I wasn't really into board games as much. So nowadays, you put a game with a train in front of me, and I'm like, ooh, I like trains. But back then, I was just like, ooh, I like fantasy. Yeah. Uh, so the thing that's cool about this is it has some similarities with Gaia Project in a couple of ways. First off, it has the modular terrain boards, where it comes with six boards of terrain. You lay them out. That's creating the game board. Uh, then you have the six different companies, uh, which all have like the different strengths and weaknesses and the ways that they play. And essentially what you're doing is you're creating the routes through this fantastic land. Uh, you're gathering different types of resources and mining for mana and adding all of these different cars onto your uh, trains. And they're called spell car, spell car tiles. So essentially think about each of these spell cars as being like this enchanted object that gives you uh, different perks and abilities. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty cool, right? I, I, I Maybe I, I should have more to say about it, but isn't just saying like, uh, asymmetric factions, Gaia Project style, uh, terrain map, uh, moving and delivering resources. Uh, the thing that I always liked about these types of games is I always love the idea of like blocking routes. 
Um, yeah, that's another thing, right? This game. Yeah, and it's something that is definitely possible in Gaia Project, but uh, maybe it doesn't get as much um, attention in Gaia Project as it as it should. And I feel like, you know, with this game, there's a really good chance of that happening. Also, really beautiful deluxe edition of this game that comes with these really nice uh, travel posters, uh, that comes with really nice molded resource tokens and uh, player folios and nice heavy board, silver embossed company logos. Very cool stuff. Uh, that is my... That's my winner. If this if this were a uh, a convert uh, an individual thing, then that's my winner. Yeah. So I'm happy that we gave everything their due. I think that's more. It almost is like the point of this award was just to do what I just did and just explain different games that we're excited about in 2019. So we kind of did that. Um, if we have to agree on something, then. What, where would you, like, I think Black Rose Wars is something that we both would agree on pretty easily, uh, that it, like, it's a contender here. I don't know if Arena is, uh, I, I wonder. I canceled my Arena. Yeah, you canceled your Arena. Having Arena and Black Rose Wars when Black Rose Wars just seemed like kind of a better version of Arena. Yeah. Um. And, and somebody out there is screaming into the ether about how they're not remotely similar. Yeah. They aren't, I guess. Well, a little bit, right? They're like competitive fighting games, right? A little bit. So uh, I definitely don't want to talk about how much we pledged. Because yeah. Because that turns into a dicey conversation. So that's not going to factor into this discussion. Um, what is something? Instead, uh, let's is... start cutting stuff. So I'm going to cut Escape Plan. Really? Because I am the only one who has played a Lacerda game. And I was not crazy about it. Okay. Yeah, I could. Okay, I can see why you'd be like. I was not crazy about um, Venus. Um, it was extremely complicated, extremely long, beautiful to look at, and I think that I'll definitely like Escape Plan more than it. I also like the fact that Escape Plan uh, for me is coming with Lisboa, which I'm excited to play. But that for me, it comes with the gallerist. Escape Plan more. Um. I don't think I think that Barrage is also going to get cut here because it's not like I think it's really interesting. I think you're actually going to love it. And I think I'll actually love I was, it. I was going to say that I was more excited when you were describing Barrage than really? I was for anything else. you were. OK, describing. then I'll then I won't cut it. Um, I don't think Eclipse is going to make it onto this list. I think oh, we'll love Eclipse again. I, I put a lot of these on there because I think they're interesting. But uh, yeah. Uh, and Tainted Grail, that, 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 like, I think that might be more of a thing that I would do alone and be excited about. I don't know if it's going to be the kind of thing that, like, we would be interested in it. But I think it it looks like the kind of game that would be a very amazing single-player game. Um, it's a little hard for me to get excited about About some of these things when I'm just explaining. What? About co-ops, even. Yeah, co-ops are also kind of weird. Because it's sometimes weird to be, like, playing a game where... Like, Kingdom Death works because it's a co-op that saves a lot of interesting, unique things. Uh, and also, you're, like, working together at, in a settlement. Whereas, with, a regu- with like, most regular co-ops, like, I think one of the problems with Gloomhaven is that you're really more focused on your individual character. Um, and that sometimes co-ops are just weird in general because they don't create a lot of tension. Uh, it's more interesting to have the other players be at your throats than... 
uh like a you know fake like a dice time yeah like a time like a dice or like a timer or something like that or a trap card or a trap card sometimes they're scary though um i think food chain mechanic is i'm excited just for food chain in general yeah i actually don't feel like i need something to make food chain more palatable because it's good enough on its own as it stands right now and with nut without having any information uh i can hope that it'll be like a terraforming mars prologue thing but that's just a hope that's like we have nothing to go off of so it's hard to anticipate that especially considering the base game is as good as as it is so right now we have and and it's so like the game is feels so complete so i'm almost a little bit worried yeah also that company is not known for doing expansions right like they're not even known for reprinting their games water they've done some I feel like one of their games has quite a few expansions. Um, but what? Let's let's proceed. Okay, so everything on this Are list is exciting to me, at least. Uh, Black Rose Wars, Barrage, and Imperial is what we have right now. I'll tell you this: I don't own a train game right now, but I'm very excited at the prospect of playing one. I am very excited and, about Imperial, but I don't know if it's the thing that I'm like the most excited about. It also didn't get as much hype on Kickstarter. Like it didn't do as well as I would have hoped. Like I think it's the kind of game that would have been a lot better with more money into it to make more factions and more additional stuff. Because I think it's the kind of thing that like similar to Guy Project, you want more factions. Um, I mean, they didn't hit all their stretch goals. Yeah, they didn't hit all their stretch they're, goals. They're a small company, and they're games that are to just have miniatures on kickstarter for whatever reason just get gain better traction yeah but i mean it makes sense it does make sense because you're buying more of a physical thing a lot of people actually buy games for the miniatures alone yeah and then they just use them for D. they use them for D, or they paint them and stuff like that so but i don't know i'm i i like the idea of like black rose wars and i think that it's going to be a cool game and a great game but just when i think about like it's just that I know so much more about what level 99 produces and I already know what I'm getting. I know that I'm going to get some, like you can already play the game on tabletop simulator, which to me suggests uh, that they have a high degree of confidence in the game. Uh, I'm sure that it's going to be okay. Argento consortium is a worker placement and Imperial spells and steam is a pickup and deliver of equivalent quality. And I love, I love, um, Argent the Consortium. I think that it's a fantastic worker placement game. And you know that I love games that have modularity. Obviously, Black Rose Wars has modularity as well. I'm excited to play that. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel like I, I just have to see how Black Rose Wars turns up. Yeah. I've watched it played, and I thought that it looked cool, but but I just don't know. Right? Yeah. I've been burned before. Have you heard of No Man's Sky? I don't know if those have anything to do with each other, but... Um, Maybe not. I will Especially say Especially since you can watch people play Black Rose Wars and see exactly how it plays. I will say that uh, with Black Rose Wars, like, it was the game that I was the most excited for, but now, like, some of the games that I find the most interesting are Euro games. Uh, so the... Like, I think Black Rose Wars is going to be a lot of fun, and it probably will be amazing but i don't know will it replace wildlands i don't know what it what it will do 
Like it's it's definitely like not uh, that known of a quantity. I like any of these things are, but uh, it seems like a deathmatch game though. Like it is a deathmatch game in a lot of ways. But but there's there's some other things too. These like you don't necessarily need to win by just killing people. Like there's other things going on. I I do love how many uh, schools of magic they've put in. And I think that it's going to even just be fun to like open it up and go through all of that. Yeah, it's it's very feature rich, right? But that's also one of the reasons why I get excited about uh, Imperial because level 99 packs those boxes. Those, you you know, like with Millennium Blades and with Argent, they come with like a ton of content. Hmm. I I would almost say Barrage for this just because I, I think like the idea of this like very chewy heavy euro might be the thing that i think will like really surprise us because i think it's something that we're that we already know we would like but the the theme of it is very unique and then it also like kind of seems like it would be like a a gaia project replacement where it's not as embarrassing yeah i mean it's like like gaia project i i always am frustrated with like the horrible artwork yeah like i'd almost be happy to have a game that is like here's a uh asymmetrical euro kind of thing uh but uh the artwork is actually good and the components are actually nice instead of just you know every all the components are kind of lame except for the quantum cube the qic it's it's just that i i feel like i already have euro games and i already have euro games with these sort of elements so the idea of replacing a game to me isn't as attractive as black rose wars or imperial where i'm adding a game to my collection that is not like the other games i have so would you be happy with black rose wars because i think that's the thing we would agree the most on then imperial is definitely mine but i think that black rose wars is the most agreeable so that's the podcast's And We're finally, here for the cast. And finally, game of the year individually awarded uh in at nine o'clock with two hours. All right. We have uh game of the year individually awarded, uh the game that we like the most this year. Um very easy to go over because there's no argument here. Uh Kingdom Death, Food Chain Magnate, Gaia Project, Twilight Imperium, Gloomhaven, Millennium Blades. And Terraforming Mars. Every single game on here has gotten their due. We've talked them to death on both podcasts. What is the game here that is your game of the year? Well, see, and here's the thing is we're just, we just say a thing. It's not as spicy, right? Yeah. That's what, that, that's not the problem spicy. with these individual awards, right? Is like why I even liked taking off the individualness of the, do you want, then do you want to go with, with, do you want to find the, this podcast's game of the year? Cause we, we need to come okay, to it. Okay, so tell me, so is game of the year favorite game? Best game of the year. Because here's the thing, we've only really been in this for the last year, right? Yeah, I mean, that's going to so, change from, from year to year, probably. So, so technically, what you're saying in game of the year is this is my favorite board game. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Unless you've liked a game more in the last five days. No. Well, In which no. case, you can't vote for it because this is 2019. Yeah. So what what is your individual game of the year? Probably Kingdom Death. That's probably the most defining game of the year for me. It's like something that like got me into weird heavy board games and like miniature sculpting and now painting and 
uh, just something I spent tons and tons of time with this year. Uh, but if I was going for like a more, if I had to, if I had to like immediately tell you the, the WTDG's game of the year, it would be Gaia Project. That's the game that we came together the most to love as a podcast, I guess, as a group of people this year. So as I've said, my, my favorite game is Millennium Blades. I don't know, uh, how many more times I'll be able to con people into sitting down and playing that game with me. Hopefully many more. Uh, and for game of the year for our podcast and hmm, Gaia project is an attractive option, but part of me wants to say Gloomhaven because Gloomhaven is the one that got all of this started. That would be interesting would, to, to give Gloomhaven. Would we be, would we be sitting here having these conversations were it not for Gloomhaven? Maybe not. So maybe this would be the place to finally give Gloomhaven its due. Because we did spend a lot of, like, it was a, like, if you look at anything that defined board gaming this year, or, like, the whole hobby that we got into, Gloomhaven was the thing that was, like, look at what board games can do. They can be legacy. They can be RPG. They can be co-op. They can be sort of semi-co-op. They can have all these different things you can be excited about the next time you're going to play. You can, like, toil over uh like getting good yeah. inserts or do all these kind of things like it was and the gloomhaven is also the bridge right it's the bridge for people who are primarily involved with video games to get involved in board games because it gives them this sort of familiar world like the sort of familiar idea of like you're gonna play you're gonna have a character you're gonna buy items progress uh there are gonna be achievements that you unlock uh, side missions, all this sort of stuff. Yeah, and we did play like a ton of it. Like we, like it, it fell off like of our radar a little bit come the later part of the year, just because it was harder to get to the table. But it was like the biggest thing. Like it was all we were talking about for months and months in the beginning of the year. And I'd like to play it more. You know. Yeah, and I it, it, open it will get, it will get played more. I think in this year, especially when the expansions come out and stuff like that thing that's crazy is I don't even know that I need those expansions because I really want to see what's inside those boxes. I got to know what those other classes are. But the fact that I have not like opened them up and looked at the minis and looked at the cards is indicative of the fact that I still plan to play that game at some point. Yeah. And not to mention like the I, the how much I little stuff there is in, Gloom in Gloomhaven, like all the weird sealed contents and stuff like that and how like Gloomhaven just has a a, a way of surpri surprising you over and over again. And the core gameplay is very good. And there are some really cool rules about it. One rule that we didn't bring up is the rule that you're not allowed to share with other players exactly what you're doing. Yeah. So that kind of that rule. creates a lot of like hecticness and that that like simulates the idea of like this is combat, it's happening immediately. So if someone's going to say, oh, I'm going to push this enemy far away, and the other person says, like, what the hell are you doing? I was trying to hit them, and now I can't do that anymore. That's kind of, like, an interesting thing of, like, trying to deal with the chaos. Like, it creates chaos. So I don't know. I, I love Gaia Project, but I feel like Gloomhaven is, is a spicy contender here. And part of me also thinks that Food Chain Magnate is not a bad choice. Well, Food Chain Magnate is, it's a game that had moments. Well, let me do this. Let me say, 
because it's late. How happy are you with what I just did? What about Gaia Project Runner-Up and Gloomhaven as the game of the year? I think Red Dead's the most disappointing game of the year. I do too. Just kidding. I think it's fine. Uh, That's the podcast. Game of the year, Gloomhaven Runner-Up Gaia Project. So let me run down the full list from today. Uh, Let me see. Well, let's start from the beginning. Well, dude, it's from the very beginning. Best Mechanic. Tableau Building, runner-up Legacy. Best Expansion, Terraforming Mars Prologue, runner-up Scythe, Rise of Fenris. Uh, Best Art, Root, runner-up Everdell. Best Components, Lovecraft Letter, runner-up Everdell. Best Style, Millennium Blades, runner-up Kingdom Death and Betrayal Legacy. Best Party Game, Secret Hitler. Best Gateway, Castles of Mad King Ludwig, Runner-up Dominion, best cornerstone, which is the unique defining mechanic, is the master builder in Castles of Mad King Ludwig with the Alchemist's app runner-up, best rule. Millennium Blades, no takebacks, and Twilight Imperium promissory notes, and also I see Hitler. Okay, which one is it? Who's the it's runner-up Twilight. Here? Well, Hit- both of them. We have two, we have two runner-ups for that. Dang, nice. Twilight Imperium promissory notes and Hitler doesn't know who the fascists are for best rule. Best individual game played or the best moment. Fascist v. Fascist in Secret Hitler or uh, Unnamed Survivor number one in Kingdom Death Monster. Best designer uh, presented by Ryan Kirby. Martin Wallace, developer of Brass Birmingham and Wildlands with runner-up Jamie Stegmeier from Charterstone. Scythe and Bird Box, right? Bird Box. That's Wing, he made well, the movie. Yeah, Bird, the new Bird Box movie is definitely Jamie Stegmaier. With Sandra Bullock. Um, most satisfying mechanics look feel. Uh, this was a weird one, but we uh, awarded it instantly to Gaia Project with a runner-up Brass Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> Game you want to play more of in 2019. Uh, Food Chain Magnate for me. Kingdom Death Monster for Ryan. Most played game. Kingdom Death for Ryan, Gloomhaven for me, most anticipated Black Rose Wars, Runners Up, Barrage, and Imperial Games of the Year, uh, Gloomhaven for WTDG Podcast, Runner Up, Gaia Project, uh, Ryan's individual is Kingdom Death, my individual is Millennium Blades. Well, there you go. So now on to the video game aspect of the podcast. And now on to the sleep aspect of my life. That'll do it for this uh, this year. Yep. Or something. Uh, WTDGpodcast.com. What's the deal with games? Rate, comment, subscribe to the show. Um, thank you, Ryan Gowan, crying for the use of your music. We use the intro and outro revive off the new album, Beyond the Fleeting Gales. You can find them at the Run for Cover Bandcamp. Sorry. It's not new. It's not new. And also crying is uh, met their end. Uh, I'm sorry. But there we go. And next uh, podcast is um about predictions for uh, yeah we also need to do board game awards we're gonna be spilling into January at this we're point we did board game awards we, we did, are we in January did, yeah I mean we we are in January but we have to do awards we just did the 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 run the run through but um thank you James video game awards is what you mean to say oh yeah I'm 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 so tired it's nine twenty I was supposed to be asleep an hour ago all right good night old man. Good night, good night old man. <laughs> <laughs>